Hi, this is Ananda, President of the Hare Krishna Community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Hare Krishna. Glad to be here. Um, this is my home temple, first temple I ever came to, and a lot of the faces I saw the first time are still here. Um, thank you guys for welcoming me and keeping me here. My son likes to record me and send it to me, but I don't like to hear myself. Um, so first thing I wanted to do, I invited my mom here. It was twofold. Uh, she was a part of the funeral experience, but I wanted to honor her and thank her, not just as my mom, but a lot of the stuff I learned in bhakti before I met devotees or anybody, I got it from her. I got it from her. So she really eased the transition into bhakti for me. I didn't like how she did it um, <laughs> for a long time. But it was very effective, and I just wanted to say I'm very grateful for her, not just as a mother, but as as guru. She's my first spiritual master, and I mean that in the most literal sense. So thank you, Mom. I'd also like to offer my obeisances to my spiritual master, to Srila Prabhupada, for he wouldn't be here without him and his amazing, amazing deed. Um, and again, thank you all. So the topic today, I'm not going to preach. So if you're looking for like a preach and a bunch of um, shastras and real high spiritual knowledge, I'm sorry. You're better off reading the books. <laughs> um, I really just wanted to share a realization, and hopefully if I do this with the right time, and we'll have time to kind of discuss. Um, so I had a funeral to go to, family funeral. Um, I was kind of going into it, I wanted to observe. It's a Christian funeral, Washington, D.C., a lot of my family members. But having practiced bhakti, you know, you tend to start to observe this very, very important moment because this moment of leaving the body, is, this is stress by Srila Prabhupada. This is the most important moment in our lives. How we live will determine, no, no, how, how we live determines the state of mind when we leave our bodies. And the state of mind when we leave our bodies determines our next destination. So I was curious to see the general mood of everybody there at a funeral, not having been to a Christian funeral in a while. But also, I was curious to see the person there. Pay me no mind, I sweat a lot. It'll go away in a few minutes. That's uh, so why I try to keep something. My mom knows this. I think it's her fault, as a matter of fact. Um, but the, um, the person there, I had known him as a child. I've heard some stories about him. I love the guy. He's a really lovable guy. But I was curious to see what type of person this really was. And it's not, I said funerals where you really learn who a person is. <laughs> it's unadulterated, if you will. So... Um, that's the start. That's the introduction. Um, I start out slow. Bear with me. I usually get up right around in the middle. Just hang in there. Try to stay awake. Um, but I was really actually looking to add, add something to my bhakti practice. Because <laughs> in my arrogance, of course, I think bhakti is everything, and everybody else has something that they can contribute to bhakti. But bhakti is already taking care of everything, right? So while looking to add something to my practice, I actually found a very, very, very 
very deep principle of bhakti while at that funeral. So that's what I want to share with everyone here. I'm going to keep you on your seats. Hopefully at the end we'll find out what that principle is. Um, yeah, I guess I got to do that now. So <laughs> validating others. Validating others. How many people really think about validating others in your day-to-day -day life? You can answer. Anybody? Raise a hand. Shake your head. Yes? One. We got two. Three, four, five, I saw five. Um, but overall, six. <laughs> what I learned about this person, his name is Nat. I know him as Nat, but officially he's Dr. Nathaniel Moon. He's a lifetime Washington, D.C. guy. Um, very unordinary on the surface. Not somebody that you'd point out in a crowd and say, that guy right there. Very I like to use the term very unremarkable. But this unremarkable features was one of the most remarkable things about him. Because at the funeral, I actually found out a lot of remarkable things I didn't know. He has a um, historical museum, historical exhibit at a major university. Uh, he was a huge educator. Um, he started many different organizations. But I only knew this guy as Nat. Um, so everybody... People were coming up, they were coming up to talk and give their different experiences about him. The experiences were very remarkable. He was doing all these wonderful things, but he's somebody that you wouldn't necessarily notice on a material level. Didn't drive a fancy car. Um, he was very well educated, but he never, ever presented how educated he was. As a matter of fact, I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. For years, he had pursuing his PhD, been pursuing his PhD. Every time I see him, I say, hey, Nat. He says, hey, Adrian. And that was it. <laughs> but in the meantime, he was doing major research. He was uh, initiating many, many educational products. Um, not products, educational programs. Programs. So one of the first things, one of the first points I took away from that was embracing being unremarkable. Embracing being unremarkable. And the tradition of bhakti teaches us that humility is the key, right? We've heard so many stories in bhakti yoga of, of, of uh, great, great saints humbling themselves to a degree that myself or probably none of us could ever even dream of doing. But this embracing being unremarkable, if you've heard the story of Lord Chaitanya, I think it was sometime he was... Um, if you don't know who Lord Chaitanya is, just look to the person next to you and ask. And I bet you a lot of money they know who he is. <laughs> um, but Lord Chaitanya was a, an avatar. He was the Lord himself. He came down um, as, a, as a preacher, as a sannyas. A sannyas is a preacher or a mendicant. Um, in any case, this was the Lord. So this wasn't like an ordinary mendicant. Um, but there was one situation. It's where... He was being, it was another set of, of priests, and they were coming, and they kind of looked down on the type of um, spirituality, spiritual practice that he was bringing with him, which is kirtan, which is deep, deep love of God, and not so much into the, the, the scriptural injunctions or, you know, the, the, the rules and regulations. Um, so there was a meeting or something, and I don't know the details, but at this meeting, and this is, this is God himself, so he's the most learned person there. Um, rather than go and sit at the front, 
rather than present how remarkable he was, because he was actually the most remarkable of the most remarkable, I believe he sat on the side and washed the feet of everyone who came in. And this is, this is God himself. <laughs> and he could very easily sit on the Asasan and say, all right, everybody in here, you're wrong. How do I know? I'm God. <laughs> of course you're wrong. But he took this position. He went out of his way to wash the feet of what we would consider our enemies or what we would consider uh, somebody going against us or somebody we wouldn't follow, somebody we wouldn't listen to. So uh, that's just one example, but there's this examples in bhakti of embracing being unremarkable. Srila uh, Prabhupada, our founder Acharya, if you listen to his lectures, he knows everything. There is not a subject that he is not expert on. Motor vehicles, <laughs> medicine, <laughs> astronomy, space science and calculations, uh, evolution. He's spoken on all of these things. But yet he comes over in a boat with no money and a, and a, and a, and a, and a suitcase full of books. By material standards, this is a joke. <laughs> this is um, some old man coming off a boat with a, with, a, with a suitcase full of books and about what amounted to seven dollars. But he's remarkable <laughs> if you actually know this personality. But he came with the intention of not embracing how remarkable he was, but embracing how unremarkable. This is with the presentation. Yeah, I may be remarkable, I may not. And if you hear him talk, this is what he talks about. People say, oh, you've done something great. He says, I haven't done anything great. I just tried to follow the instructions of my spiritual master. So that was one of the first things I learned at this funeral. Nat, Dr. Moon, taught me, be unremarkable. You have so many good qualities. Yes, so do I. So do you. So do you. So do you. So do you. So does everyone in here. But that's not what it's all about. And that's not how we actually in an authentic way, validate each other. I can't validate you standing on my high horse. I can't acknowledge you showing you how remarkable I am. I thought this was just, it was amazing. It was amazing. Something I don't practice. I, I think I'm remarkable with everything I do. Whether I fail or not, I, you know, I think I did it well. I'm remarkable. Um, and so that was the first one. I got to keep it short. I'm not good at the time. Um, so the second one, this was a really nice feature. If you ever met him, right, he would make you feel like he would make you feel like you were the only person in the room. Not in an artificial way. There's some people who are really good at making you feel like the only person. But it's very, it's, it's, it's really good, but it's contrived and it's manufactured. He would literally make you feel like it was you and him and no one else around. And that's if he knew you for 50 years or five minutes. And how did he do this? He would lean in. When he's talking to you, he would lean right into you. He would smile at you too. And his ears would be pointed right at you. You could be saying any kind of riffraff, anything. But he always made the point, and this is for everybody, for two-year-olds, for 20-year-olds, for 50-year-olds, to people off the street, to high educators, 
he always let everyone know, I'm listening to you. I'm listening to you. Not I hear you. I'm listening to you. And I'm going to remember everything you said. And I'm not going to remember. I'm going to try my hardest to remember everything you said. And not just remember it because he was listening deeply. So it wasn't just about remembering what you said. It was about acknowledging you and validating you as a person. Many times our transaction, our relationships are transactional. Hi, Krishna. Hi, Krishna. Good to see you. How have you been? Great. Well, Hare Krishna, I'll see you next time. It's even worse on the street. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Great. How's the weather? Weather was good. Nice. What you doing this weekend? What are you doing this weekend? All right, I'll see you Monday. It's so shallow. Every single day we're engaging in these shallow, shallow relationships. Um, not because necessarily we're shallow, shallow people. This is the nature of the material world. But here this person was really letting you know he cared by deeply, deeply listening to you. And every person came up and talked about how he heard me. He heard me. It's remarkable. Every single person thought that he was only listening to them. (laughs) That he didn't have any other friends or family or anyone. It was just Nat and you. And this listening is a, a, this is one of the basic foundational principles in bhakti, right? Shravanam Kirtanam. Out of the nine processes of devotional service, the first one is, is hearing. What do they say? Two ears and one mouth? Two is greater than one, <laughs> right? But this hearing and actually showing that person, I am listening to you. And in that way, actually validating that person wherever they are. Whether they're going through something or or, or whether they're like the highest, most educated, intelligent, spiritual person, it it didn't matter. He had this philosophy of validating everybody by listening. He was absorbed in listening. There's another feature. This one I can't wrap my mind around, but Bhakti always teaches us, at least I know my spiritual master, His Holiness Radhanath Swami, don't criticize. No matter what, no matter what, no matter what fault you see, and I think about him a lot when I'm in a critical mode, because he takes this mode, I'm not going to criticize even in a situation where you might be right to actually criticize. There might be some foundation to criticize a person. But to actually go against that. To actually not take up that principle of criticizing. So what I know about Dr. Moon, I knew a lot of things. I heard a lot of things about Dr. Moon. (laughs) Some of them, you might start criticizing him. But he treated me so nicely, I can never get to that level of (laughs) criticizing him. However, everyone that came up to speak about him, um, he couldn't see the bad in them. He couldn't criticize them. He wasn't capable of criticizing them. Why do I say he wasn't capable? He couldn't criticize him because he could only see his faults. 
when he saw a person with faults, it, he understood right away, I, I've got these same faults probably a thousand times worse. And he always took that position to never criticize. And he, I know some of the people in his life, they are worth criticizing by my standards. <laughs> There's some folks that you would look at and be like, man, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? You need to get your life together. And uh, you could criticize him and nobody would say anything. Yeah, I understand why you would say that and what you would say. I get it. He never took that position. He never took that position. He always maintained the low position. Because sometimes he was up. Sometimes he was down. Sometimes he was very high. Sometimes he was very low. But when he saw you and when he, when he interacted you, with you, he acknowledged that, hey, wherever you are, that, that could be me too. So right now, so many of us, we're in a position, some of us are doing well, some of, some of us are not doing well, some of us have really nice cars, some of us are just getting by, some of us have health problems. Um, this is the world of ups and downs. One day you're up in the material world, one day you're down. Um, but everybody, we're all here because we're trying to get past that whole up and down business of the material world. We're trying to get past this rat race, this duality, if you will, of the material world. So in, in many ways, he kind of, he didn't kind of, he really, he really transcended in some ways this, this duality of the material world. He really transcended the ups and downs of this place by always taking the humble position. Um, again, this is, this is just really remarkable because I, it, humble is just, I was raised in the West, American, you don't, you don't eat humble. <laughs> this is not the diet that you're raised on in America. You're raised to be strong, be authoritative, and humility is for the weak. Humility is for the religious. <laughs> the meek shall inherit the earth. <laughs> so you won't get the earth right now, but maybe later with your humility, you'll actually inherit the earth. This is how we're raised. So this idea in the West, I can say that in the West. I do know different cultures. There is, humility is kind of ingrained in there, sometimes. In the West, is very strong. No humility. No humility. So this was a very, very remarkable feature of Dr. Nathaniel Moon, that he kind of imbibed. He lived it. That's another thing. We always talk about humility and to not a piece of Nietzsche. Now, everybody probably in here could say something about humility. But how many of us can actually say that we're actively trying to live that principle? And that every day we're trying and probably failing more often than not to be humble and to hold on to that in spite of being in this situation where everything is telling you, no, you shouldn't be humble. How many of us are really living that? And uh, that, that idea of actually practicing spirituality, not just reading the books, as I tell my son all of the time, <laughs> but actually reading the books, gaining some level of understanding, and then going out and trying it out. Uh, this is one of the early lessons of my mom. Uh, she, never respected if you, she never respected if you knew something. She, she didn't care. Hey, mom, yeah, 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 yeah. She was very interested in the practical experience. Yes, you can say it. Yes, I get it. You can speak it, 
but are you living this? <laughs> is this you? Is this, is this a part of you? Or is this just another phase of yours? So, again, just a wonderful example of, of, of this person this, at this funeral, of, of actually being humble and seeing your mistakes before seeing the mistakes of others. And in doing so, being able to really validate the other person. And there, there was one more. Was there something else? Yes, there was something else. So, came from the funeral. I started taking notes. The funeral was quite remarkable. Uh, it was a Christian funeral, but my ears peaked when the, um, one of the ministers got up and he said something. He said, we're not these bodies. I was like, huh? <laughs> he said, we're not these bodies. And I was looking around, but there, there, there was no bhakti yoga practitioner, so I didn't have anybody to look at. Like, are you hearing this? I looked back at my cousin. He was like, yeah. And he said, actually, that person in that casket, you never even known that person. I'm like, oh. If you listen to some of the lectures of Srila Prabhupada, he says this all the time. You think that's your father. You think that's your brother. You've never actually known your father, your brother, your sister because you haven't seen the soul. You say you don't know that person in there. You've never met him. We're just, I believe he said, we're changing, we're changing vehicles. He's just leaving this vehicle and he's going to take on another vehicle. This is when I really started taking notes <laughs> because this is straight out of the Bhagavad Gita. Um, so I, I, I started taking these notes. I went home. I called my mom. I was like, Mom, wow. Did you, can you believe I had a long conversations? So I started, I started trying to practice this because I don't, I'm not good at validation. I'm really bad in social situations. I'm like a one-on-one guy. <laughs> um, it's, what's the whole thing to know me is to love me, you know? Hey, he may like me. He might not. I don't validate people. That's the big thing. In my heart, I want to. You know, in my heart, I, I really genuinely love people, but actually, the practice of validating people, uh, not so expert. Really good at invalidating people. My wife can verify this. <laughs> Probably my teenager who's sitting in front of me. Um, so I started practice this. I started trying to, trying to practice this. And I noticed something right away that came out of it. Um, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. That every time that I went to try and validate someone, this self-righteousness just, mm, look at them. Mm, they don't know any better. They haven't read the books. Mm. What they need to do is maybe they should try a vegetarian lifestyle. Maybe they should try hanging, stop hanging out. Maybe they should get better association. Huh? They get their problem, and the problem is that association is bad. You know, they watch TV all day. They go out and eat at restaurants. They party, and they're hanging out at the club. Look at them. Look at them. And I'm hearing this going on, and I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't even know this was here. I didn't know this was here. Didn't know it was here until I actually stepped outside of myself and went outside of myself. So validating others is about hmm, not validating yourself all the time <laughs> and validating all of your achievements, your educational 
goals, your educational achievements, your achievements on the job, your accolades, hmm? your likes. Was it Instagram? Your Instagram likes? What is it on Facebook? Your likes, your hearts, hmm? your comments. Now I got a coworker. He's these social media comes. Oh, I saw this on social media, and guess what I told him? <laughs> this is what I told him. I told him, boom, 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 huh? And he's just, just gloating in this. I was like, that's the self-righteousness, huh? This is very, very dangerous. <laughs> it seems like a comfortable position, but it's a very, very dangerous position. Very dangerous position. So I started thinking about and reading about this. I wanted to know more about this self-righteousness, because it seems right, right? Righteousness. There's something right to it. But Bhagavad Gita, uh, Bhakti Yoga tells us that the material world is governed, governed, you all know this, by the three material modes of nature. Three, and this is for people that are not here, that haven't heard this stuff really. Um, so these three modes, ignorance, passion, and goodness. You can kind of put them in their hierarchical order, right? Ignorance, obviously at the bottom, passion a little higher, and goodness at the top, right? So this the material world is all going on with some combination of these modes. Um, but goodness is the highest mode. And oftentimes, conversations I have with people, spiritual life, they say, well, what's the problem? I'm, I'm, I'm not doing any bad. I'm doing good. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm making donations. I'm feeding the homeless. I only drink a little wine. I don't get drunk. Hmm? I wake up, uh, I don't pray, maybe I don't pray, but I don't bother anybody, I don't hurt anybody. Funny thing about goodness. Goodness on the spiritual path is necessary but not sufficient. It's very necessary to be on the platform of goodness. As a matter of fact, Srila Prabhupada, our founder Charya, tells us that this goodness is the platform for transcending. And that you actually can't transcend without being on the platform of goodness. So the goodness platform is critical. So it is critical that we do associate with righteousness and goodness. I had a, heard a very interesting point that he made. The problem with goodness. He says the problem with goodness is that it can become adulterated. That goodness, like righteousness, it can become contaminated. For instance, you see somebody doing something, oh, I would never do anything like that. Yes, the mood is right, but it almost became a form of criticism. And I'll share this story. My mother-in-law and the corduroys. Before I start, does anybody wear corduroys still? One? Your husband wears corduroys? Please take no offense to this. I just haven't worn corduroys in a very long time. But I'm just going to give an example of how goodness can be corrupted. She's always buying stuff. Always. And the whole family tells her, stop buying stuff. Um, and so she calls my wife and she says, hey, our son, four-year-old Sham, I bought, you, I bought him some corduroys. And I was like, no. Again, forgive me. Nobody wears corduroys anymore. 
I haven't worn corduroys in probably 20 years. My mother would always buy corduroys, but we don't wear corduroys anymore. What are we going to do with these corduroys? She said, but I just wanted to, get, I wanted to do something good, right? So the goodness was there. And if you know her, she does all kind of stuff. But her heart and her heart of hearts, she's really, really good. <laughs> she's really, really good. But the intention of giving corduroys, we don't, we don't want corduroys. Like, do you, we don't want them. If you give them to us, he's not going to wear them. They're going to sit in a bag somewhere. And guess what? There's another plastic bag that's probably going to end up in the ocean. And I don't know what's going to happen with these. It just it snowballs. <laughs> so this is how goodness, righteousness, it can become contaminated. Um, but there was one, there's one point I got to share with you. I know I got a time thing. There's one point at this funeral, very, very potent point. So Dr. Moon, he had a, he had a few sons. He has one son. Um, the one son is, 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 yeah, he's had a very long history. He hasn't been doing well for a very, very, very long time. Um, I think he got a little better. And I'm not talking about health. I'm not, uh, not talking about health, but he hasn't been doing good. Not anybody that we would generally hang out with or anything like that, right? Um, so he came home, and, and then he went by, right back away. And I heard the story, and it was on the news and everything. I was thinking to myself, how could he do that? Like, what, what was he thinking? He had a great opportunity. But he spoke at the funeral. He spoke via cell phone, if you all get my drift. So I was very curious to hear what he had to say. He thanked everyone for coming to his father's funeral. And then he said this. I want to share with you that even after everything I did, my father told me that there's still room to change your life. That you can still change your life. And this is somebody we were considered a very low point. But I thought, wow, I would have never validated him in that manner. I would have looked at him and I did. Like, what are you doing with yourself? Why don't you, what's wrong with you? Why can't you get it together? Why do you keep messing up? Don't you know right from wrong? You have a family. You've got responsibility. But his father <laughs> told him it doesn't matter. He met him exactly where he was. And he validated him exactly where he was. He didn't wait for him to reach some higher, elevated spiritual platform. He didn't wait for him to find a Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> You know, he didn't wait for him to, to call out to God. He didn't wait for him to starve. He didn't wait. He went to exactly where he was, met him there, and validated him right there. And this is the mood of our spiritual teachers in Bhakti Yoga. Our spiritual masters. You, sure you probably all can share. Srila Prabhupada, his guru Dave, of meeting us exactly where we were. Um, I think that's my time. Questions? That's my time. It's your time. Um, please, questions. Save the criticisms to after class. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I will welcome them, just not now. Um, questions, reflections, thoughts or something, anything? How we want to... It's okay if I... Um, it was a great lecture. Thank you. Um, so I have a question. Um, 
So of course, uh, I guess I get the basic point of validation, but I guess what I wonder about, especially with children, is we're always trying to steer children towards good influences, away from bad influences, and I feel like it's hard to do without implicitly making the, conveying a judgment, making them judgmental. Um, I, I'm just wondering how to navigate around that. I kind of think about that, you know, like when we go to the bus stop and there's a kid who always catches my eye and I'm always worried that he's going to cause trouble for my son and I'm always steering him away from that. So just little things like that, but I think I am imparting to my son a judgment that he's, you know, whatever, messed up or, you know, I'm, I'm, I am doing that mm. in part by trying to keep him safe and I'm just mm. wondering if you can address that. Mm. Thank you for asking a question I have some information about <laughs> with four kids. Um, boundaries must be set. There must be groundwork. This is the case in family life. This is very much the case in spiritual life, in our spiritual practice. In our jobs, at our educations, in our relationships, this principle is everywhere. It's not a judgment per se, but a boundary must be set. It must be set. What happens after that, we have no control. <laughs> we have no control but the boundary must be set. So for instance, in bhakti yoga, the, the, the general practice, follow the regular principles, chant 16 rounds of Hare Krishna, um, uh, eat prasadam, eat food that was offered to God, Krishna, and that's the foundation. Now what happens after that? We're all at the mercy of our spiritual masters, we're all at the mercy of our teachers, and at the mercy of, of, of everything else. So the, 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 the foundation... It's important that the foundation is there. Um, speaking for myself, um, the foundation that was set by my mom was such a deep foundation that I went all kinds of places. Uh, maybe I didn't like her foundation or whatever, but I didn't like it. But the further I strayed, the more I remembered the gates that she'd set up. And as I got farther and farther away from the gates, then I could start to understand, oh, that's why she was pointing out that gate. <laughs> oh, that's why she was making that judgment. I didn't understand from inside the gate, but having left out of the gate and looking back, I can see, ah, that was a good idea, even if it was against my own better wishes. that make any sense to you at all? <laughs> I think she, there was a number two here. Opposite. Oh, gender thing, huh? <laughs> I'm not touching that. I said a gender thing, huh? I'm not touching that. Thank you, Prabhu. Uh, it was very enlightening uh, session you had, lecture. Thank you for that. Hare Krishna. And uh, the question I have is you mentioned about the passion and goodness. So that's a beautiful idea, but the problem is that passion is so much overshadowed or covered, one cannot see to the goodness. And case in point, what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. So this is what I'm saying, that everybody has a goodness, but then, it, the passion, because of their individual passion is so much that they cannot see 
that what this passion is leading to and overcrowding the, the goodness of all and the humanity. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, actually, there's no problem. <laughs> there's actually no problem. Uh, Srila Prabhupada tells us that we are essentially and constitutionally Sachidananda. We are all, every single one of us is eternal. Every single one of us is loving. And every single one of us has the desire to serve the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna, inherently. We are actually perfect. However, having come in contact with this, this material nature, if you will, uh, there's some covering that's taking place. This mode of passion is a part of that covering. This mode of goodness, this mode of ignorance, it's a part of that covering. But from our tradition and what our teachers tells us, tell us, and what the teachers from many traditions tell us, um, none of that matters. And what matters really is what she talked about, setting up these boundaries, setting up this foundation. What's the foundation? The foundation is, is, is spiritual practice. So no matter whether we're heavy mode of passion, whether we're heavy mode of ignorance, whether we're heavy mode of goodness, the goal is actually to transcend all of them. It's not to be good and stay good. It's not just to transcend passion. Uh, it's not just to transcend ignorance. It's to transcend all of them. And so for the Bhakti Yoga pra practitioner, what do we do? We chant Hare Krishna. Uh, we come to see Krishna and honor the deities at the principle at the temple. Uh, we offer our respect and obeisances to everyone. Uh, we read from spiritual texts, and we try to make it a daily habit of associating with something on the transcendental level or platform. And by that way, by always at least making the attempt to associate above and beyond passion, ignorance, or goodness, um, we can start to remember who we really are. That make any sense at all? I, I say all kinds of things. Okay, I'd like to extend my profound gratitude to you uh, for being here. This has been a great lecture. So now I want to find out how can we teach students, especially children, when there's a children's politics going on in the playground or lunch hour to be humble because I have seen kids when we teach them being humble, being Krishna conscious, then kids just run all over them. So can you teach us or tell us how to be humble? No, I, no I, I cannot. <laughs> I absolutely cannot. I have no idea, um, but I do really well at reading the books. <laughs> Um, I do really well at watching those who have gone before me and those who have really exhibited humility. Um, so there's some things I've noticed. Uh, humility is, a, at, its, at its core, it's a really deep internal practice that manifests externally. And it's not that humility is self-negation. Humility is not necessarily denying oneself. Humility doesn't mean that 
you let somebody punch you in the eye? <laughs> not necessarily. Um, it's not necessarily humility. Um, it's a very deep internal process. Um, and how do you teach it? I don't know how to teach anything other than by trying to practice it myself. That's the best way I've learned to actually teach them. Practice it myself. Try to live it. Um, and then let whoever's in my association kind of see what that looks like. Because um, they may not pick it up, but maybe at some point in time they grow older, as I did. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what, that's what he was doing. Oh, that's what he meant by humility. I didn't get it at the time. Um, so what we can do is start to plant the seeds. And, you know, I'm the type of, I'll just throw the seeds all over the place. Hopefully I did a good job on the soil that mm -hmm. <laughs> it's actually fertile and there's some good seeds. Um, and with bhakti and spiritual practice, bhakti yoga, the, the, the Srimad Bhagavatam, um, Bhagavad Gita, the, the lectures from our Acharya, Srila Prabhupada, their writings, the kirtan, these are good seeds. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Um, I'm going to validate you right now. Thank you. Okay? <laughs> I'm sitting here next to you and having the honor to listen to you the way you talk. I didn't know you talk like that, man. <laughs> oh, my God. This is nice. But now, this is the question. Knowing what you know and what you experience in Bhakti Yoga and being in a Christian funeral, how you validate the process of that funeral and how you integrate that process into your knowledge without being judgmental or criticizing what happened there or what's going on there. So how that influenced you or how can you perceive that ceremony or that event that affects or, or, or makes you greater than what you are right now? Tadvidi pranipatiena pranipasiena sevaya. I only know the first two because Srila Prabhupada says it over and over and over and over and over. Um, but I know the English translation. It's from the Bhagavad Gita. And, and basically it says just try, try to learn from a spiritual master by, by approaching them in a mood of humility. So what, what am I saying, right? We have all of these, these texts. We have this Bhagavad Gita. You, you have your Bibles. You have your Qurans. You have, you have your um, senior family members. You have all of these resources. But what attempt are we making to actually try to hear them and, and, and live them? And so uh, my mood is I, I'm a failure, right? But I'm, I'm okay with failure. I like failing. I learn a lot from failing. Um, but the goal is just try to try. And uh, Srila Prabhupada, our spiritual masters, they tell us the highest heights, the sage sees everyone with equal vision. For the sage, they don't see, they don't see color, they don't see race, they don't see gender, they don't see everybody. They just see the spirit soul. Are we there yet? I can't speak for you, but I'm nowhere near there. But I can enter an environment having heard that teaching and understanding that that's the goal and make the effort and the attempt to try to reach that goal. To just try, just to try to go in there and not see these people as these people. <laughs> 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 
but try to see them as, as living entities who are caught in the struggle of the material world just like I am. Just in some different section and on some different level or on some different step or on some different room, but we're all here and we're all struggling and just just trying. Just trying. I just try. Thank you. Prabhu. Prabhu. Thank you for being here. Thank you. For so being I wanted here. to say two comments to the two questions. One of the someone asked about how do we be humble, mm. and so for me it's think of the other person. When you're I don't have a child, but I've done a lot of babysitting. Teach them to share. Think of the other person, because as soon as you say there's another person just like you, and you pay attention to the other person, you're thinking less about yourself mm-hmm. as a kid or others. It's simple. Think of others. That's what. Well, that's where. It, and the second, and the second thing this gentleman asked about: How do you not judge? You judge so you can survive. You're critical, so you you go away from danger. We can't get rid of that. It doesn't mean our intention isn't to do that. But a practical thing to answer to honor your mother is in mindfulness. The mo- the mood is of curiosity. When you see something like a funeral, go, you're curious. Why did they do that? Or I wonder what that's about. Instead of going, oh, I don't want that. I'm, I already have all the answers. <laughs> to be curious, what can I learn from it? What can I learn? Yeah. And, then, and then even you saw like there's one gentleman said, I'm not your body. And the other, to see how we all are similar underneath. Mm. There's really not a duality. We're all one yeah. Yeah. from God. Hare Krishna. And then that's my two comments. And then my, my you want to stop? This might be my last time. Okay. Do you have questions? Yeah, I have a... I just wanted to comment. I I hope that's useful. Listening. We we can talk about it now, but in mindfulness, there's like a two-hour, three-hour training on just how to listen. And I think if we had in our schools a couple classes on that, because if you're in your head listening to your thoughts as they speak... That is not listening, and I, I will assure you that most people do that because it's a natural function to try and understand if you're auditory. But if you're listening to your head when they're talking, you're not listening. But we had a great Swami here talk about how we learn, and it's about how to listen, but we didn't go into that. It's really a deep thing. Just that alone should be a great conversation. It's actually really simple. Just, sh- just shut up. <laughs> no, no, no. Pay attention. That's what I mean. Yes. Just you, shut up. You, I mean, and I don't no, mean no. you. No, no, no. No. No, hold on. Can Give me, give me a no, second. I, I It'll be really quick. No, I don't mean that in the sense no, of no. you shut up or I you don't. shut up, but that we shut up that internal noise that you're speaking of. Or you, you pay attention in a different way. In Prabhupada, you started. He was the great. He made you feel like you were there because he listened so deeply. But it's a practice. But we have to know how to, how to do it practically, or it's not going to happen. Just reading a book is not going to do. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Krishna. So you're, you're about learning the skill of listening, right? Which is, it's a practice. It's interesting you say that because we've talked about that with a few devotees about what kind of learning or courses we want to put on here in 2020 and listening came up as something that um, we could all benefit from learning how to listen. Or who thinks they could learn how to listen better? Yeah. All right, on that positive note, please, very uh, wonderful thanks to Chaitanya Kishore. Thank you so much.